Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Well, good morning, everybody. There we are. We're awake. Let's go. Second service. We're ready. Do I have any people uh, in this place who have been to the Grand Canyon before? Well, we are taking a field trip this year as a church. Uh, Starting next week as a church, we're going to pick up everything, move to Arizona. We'll be back probably somewhere around April or so. If anyone's on board for that, just give it up. Okay, that was not nearly as exciting as I thought it would be, but I am personally not looking forward to the snow, so we're not going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the Grand Canyon, because if you've been to the Grand Canyon, you know it's huge, you know it's awesome. Fun little fact for you this morning, any guess on how many footballs can fit inside of the Grand Canyon? Six. Riley, that's close. Uh, It's close to six. Uh, The correct answer is 900 trillion footballs. Almost as many of the fumbles that, or many of the footballs have been fumbled this year by the Vikings, but it's close. Uh, ping pong balls, though. This is my personal favorite. If you were to try to fill the Grand Canyon with ping pong balls, you would have to purchase 6.375 to the 16th power ping pong balls. So just for anyone who's like a visual person, that means the amount of ping pong balls you would need to fill the Grand Canyon or if you had a 6, comma, 375, comma, and then 16 zeros across the board. That's a lot of ping pong balls, okay? This thing is huge. It's absolutely massive. Grand Canyon National Park is actually bigger in land mass than the state of Rhode Island. Like, this thing is huge. And so if you're like me, uh, the first time you visit the Grand Canyon, you're kind of like, just a big hole in the ground. Like it's, it's a canyon. What do you want me to say? But I got to tell you, as someone who like drove to it with some used students after a mission trip once, it blew my mind. Like when you get to Grand Canyon National Park, you have to go through a gate and it's really slow, but then you walk up this random little hiking trail and you get to the rim of the Grand Canyon. And when you get to the rim of the Grand Canyon, you see how expansive and large this thing is. It blows your mind. It's crazy. And for so many years, I was kind of like, cool, it's a Grand Canyon, it's a national treasure, all that kind of good stuff. But when I actually saw it in person, it blew me away. Because my perception was so tiny to the reality of what the Grand Canyon was. Our perceptions are crazy, aren't they? So many times we perceive things one way, but when you actually mash them up with reality, it kind of stuns you because you realize how far off you were. The last few weeks, church, we've been talking about this thing called airplane mode. Uh, There's our wonderful Grand Canyon picture. Uh, For a little bit of context, I talked to our tech team saying, hey, I need a good picture of the Grand Canyon. And then I proceeded to see Riley laughing with the tech team as they were doing preparation. So I'm guessing Riley tried to find the most blurry picture possible for me this morning. So thank you, Riley. Is that true? Kind of. Okay, cool. 
We've been in this thing called airplane where we're talking about the spiritual disciplines. Here are the things that we can do as people to grow in our faith. Here's the ways in which we can connect with God and really grow in our relationship with Jesus. We've talked about scripture and how to read the Bible. It's a big book. It's comprehensive. How do you read this thing? We talked about that the first week. The second week, we had someone come in and talk about prayer. And and here's the importance of prayer and what prayer can do and how we pray. It's just very, very practical. And then last week, I talked about silence and solitude, two things we just love, right? We love just sitting down and being silent, right? It's a challenge. It's all those kind of things. But all these things kind of come together to help us grow in our faith with God. They allow us to really connect with him in new and different ways. And we've got two more disciplines to go in this sermon series. And if last week's was one of the more difficult ones for us to practice, I would say this week's is probably the most misunderstood. This is the spiritual discipline that probably gets misunderstood more than any other. And it's one that I heard all about when I made the jump from dentistry to ministry. For those who are new to, the, to our church, new to me, my story was my plan, Derek's plan, was to be scraping teeth right now. That was my plan. And for some of you, it sounds terrible, but that was what I was excited about for my life. But God had other plans. He decided, hey, I'm going to move you after your freshman year of college of doing dentistry. I'm going to do a cataclysmic shift inside of you, and you're going to have this desire for ministry. So I went from a school of 15,000 to a school of 1,500. And I made that switch from dentistry and boatloads of money to ministry and not boatloads of money, right? But I knew it was going to be awesome. I knew it was going to be special. And something I heard over and over and over again when people would say, hey, so what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to become a pastor. The first thing they always say is, oh, I'm not very religious. And I'm like, cool. (laughs) Glad we're still talking. This is awesome, right? But then they'd ask, like, so what, what, what kind of made that shift happen for you? And, you know, I would say, well, God kind of called me to it. And I kind of felt like this was the next step for me and so on and so forth. And then they proceeded to tell me why they're not religious. And I can't tell you how many times I heard this. The church is full of a bunch of hypocrites who all they want is my money. I could have literally tattooed that on my forehead. I'm a pastor. I don't want your money, and I'm not a hypocrite. He said, I try not to be, right? That's I heard that over and over and over again. And what breaks my heart about that very sentiment is not the fact that it keeps people from being generous, but that it keeps people from connecting with God. Because what we're going to talk about today is generosity. And even as I say that, some of your blood pressure just went up like, oh, here we go again. The church is talking about money. If you're new to this church, you can ask some of the regulars. We don't talk about money a whole lot. And if you want to know why, uh, about a month ago, I was talking to my elder board, and I was kind of processing through this thing with them. And I said, guys, I have this dilemma, and I don't know how to handle it. And I laid it out, and one person said, I think you need to say exactly what you just said to our church. She's very wise, but she's an elder. And what she said is, or what I said, I'm sorry, is I have this tension because I don't want to be one of those churches where people walk in and they feel like they have to give. I don't want them to walk into this place and feel like, oh, all you want is my money, because quite frankly, I don't. But where the tension is, is if you don't talk about 
finances. I am robbing you of an opportunity to connect with God unlike any other. Because here is the honest reality. This thing, this wallet that we carry in our pocket, this runs our life. Everything we have is contingent upon this. The houses that we lease or rent or buy are contingent upon this. This wallet is critical to our life. And let me make something exceptionally clear. When we trust God with our finances, it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge. But it's one in which it makes our connection with God, our relationship with God, rock solid. And so this morning, we're going to talk about generosity, but I'm going to ask you a favor. Just like my perception of the Grand Canyon was off, you might have a perception about what the church and what finances and how those two things marry together. You might have a perception. I'm asking for just today, just for the next 20 minutes, you set that aside. Because I believe God wants to speak to each person in this room through the idea of generosity. So if you can do that for me, you're excited for what God wants to speak to you today. Give me a yeah. Let's go. Here we go. Myths of giving in the church. Before we talk about what the church should do and what giving looks like in the church, let's talk about the myths surrounding giving in church, the things that are inaccurate when it comes to giving. Myth number one, money is the root of all evil. I feel like my grandma could literally like rehearse that to hurt me in the sleep. Like, money's the root of all evil. Don't do money. Don't do money. Money's the root of all evil, right? I heard that over and over and over and over and over again. What does scripture say? First Timothy chapter six, verse 10. For the, thank you, Riley. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What's wrong with the myth? It's not money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil, which means when Paul's talking about this, he's saying, when you love money more than anything else, that can become a root of evil. When you love money more than your devotion to your God, your family, or your kids, that becomes a problem. When your love for money says, I love money so much, I'm willing to cheat, steal, and squander it away. That's a problem. It's that love of money that can become a root of evil. Money is not the root of evil. It's not. Because the Bible talks a lot about finances in ways you probably maybe didn't understand or think. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is. You can love Jesus and love working hard and chasing your dreams, and those two things can coexist, scripturally speaking. Myth number two, it's my money. Thank you. J.G. Wentworth, when I was running through this with Riley, he's like, so many people are going to have that jingle going through their head. It's my money, and I want it now. Uh, Thank you, J.G. Myth number two, it is my money. As individuals, this is something that we ascribe to a lot. I work hard. I work so hard. I work terrible hours with a job that I hate. I'm going to take care of my money. And that's good to want to steward your money and take care of your money. That's awesome. But if I could challenge you, 
The Bible talks about we are, it's not our money, it's his. The Bible talks about how as people, as humans, we are stewards, not the owners. In biblical times, the owner of the estate was not the one who managed the estate. A few weeks ago, I talked about this man named Joseph, who was the steward or the manager of Potiphar's house. Potiphar owned the house. He's the one who paid the money, did all the stuff. But it was Potiphar who made sure the cupboards were stocked, who made sure the livestock were taken care of, who made sure the house was in order. It wasn't his house, but he managed it. As such, it wasn't his house to sell. As human beings, I would believe firmly, I know this is a challenge for some of us, but we are not the owners. We are the managers and the stewards. God gives you breath on this earth. And when you lose someone, you understand that that breath can be taken in a moment. The breath we have in our lungs is a gift. The brain that you have in your head is a gift. The ability to move your hands and your arms and your legs, it's a gift. It's a gift that the owner has given to us that allows us to work hard. So when he gives us the ability to work and to earn an income, it is a gift. And yes, it's our job to steward it. It's our job. We have the ability to do things with it, what we will, but it's not our money. It's his. And for a lot of us, that's a challenge. It was for me. That was a reality that I had to really wrestle God with. He's like, God, I work so hard for this. But he realized and he showed me, yeah, but I've given you the ability to do this. Trust me. I'm not a dictator. I'm not going to steal it all from you. Just trust me and understand that it's mine. Which brings me to my myth number three. I have to give it all away. You don't have to give it all away. God doesn't want you to give it all away. Luke chapter 14 talks about you have to count the cost of what you're going to do. If you're going to do a project, you have to be smart. You have to budget. You have to take care of it. You have to count the cost before you jump right into it. You have to be smart. The Bible would say it's not just on us to just work so hard and then just give every single cent away. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be good stewards and chase the things that he wants us to do. You don't have to give it all away. And maybe one of the most constricting myths that a lot of us believe is I have too little to give. I have too little to give. Mark chapter 12 says this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, only worth, worth only a few cents. Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Context is critical. What does the context say? Jesus is sitting in the temple. And in the temple, in the middle, there is this box called the temple treasury. It's also called the poor's box because all the money put into this treasury goes into helping take care of the poor in the community. Every cent that goes into it, it goes help to take care of those that need it 
the most. So Jesus is sitting here and he's watching all these people come in. Nowadays, you and I, we can swipe a credit card. We can write a check. You have no idea if that check has $5 on it or 5000 because it's just a piece of paper. But back then, they didn't have credit cards or checks. They had coins. So if you were going to give a big gift, you had a big sack of coins that was really heavy. So everyone knew how much you gave. So Jesus is sitting there, and there's this box in the middle of the temple, and Jesus watches these guys who have a lot of money come in and drop big little bags of coins. And notice, he doesn't criticize them because they're giving. The story is not about the wealth are terrible or the wealthy are terrible and the poor are good. No, no. This is about the percentage of what you're giving. Because what happens is then a woman walks in. And there's two very critical words in there. A poor widow. We'll come back to that in a second. But she drops in two mites. M-I-T-E-S, some translations have. The Bible says it's worth only a few cents. I looked it up this week. If you were to kind of bring it to 2023, this is the equivalent of somebody walking in and putting in a crumpled $1 bill into the basket. That would be our day and age equivalent. So what's significant about this? Because Jesus kind of pulls the disciples across and says, hey, she's given more than anybody else. And the disciples are going, no, she didn't. Right? She gave way less. That's about the percentage and why she gave. Because here's the deal. She was poor and she was a widow. In this day and age, if you were a widow, culturally, you were taken care of. Because you didn't have a husband to provide for you in this day and age. So if you were of old, if you were of age, you were an older widow, culturally, you would be taken care of. The people in your community would rally around you and make sure you have a place to live, make sure you have food to live on. They would take care of you. You were entitled to compensation. But she's also poor. She doesn't have a lot of money. She had two mites, all that she had to live on. When you look at the literal wording of this, it means all that she had to live on for the day. All of her daily wages that she had earned that day, she gave right back into the temple treasury. She didn't have much. But she was a poor widow. And the part that stuns me about this is she was the most entitled person in that entire room to receive money. She was poor and she was a widow. Which means the very thing she was giving towards was the very thing that would benefit her. She was giving to other poor people, even though she was poor. Think about that for a second. She was giving when, realistically, she could have been the one who received everything. Powerful. And that's what Jesus is highlighting. He's going, forget about the amount. Look at the heart of this woman who's saying, I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to be poor, so I'm going to choose to give. That's powerful. That's really powerful. Which is why we give for two reasons, church. The reason that giving and generosity is a spiritual discipline, the reason we talk about it in church, the reason I'm talking about it now is because it will strengthen your relationship with God 
for two reasons, because there's two reasons that we give. The first one is because God calls us to. We are called to give. It's not a recommendation. It's something we're asked to do. If you look in the Bible, there's a word that you hear a lot of times called the tithe. You hear it here on a church, if you come to a church service, a tithe. What the heck is a tithe? I didn't know what that was for the longest time I came to church. A tithe basically means 10. So what they would do in back years and years ago, right? It was, a, it was a very, very dry summer in Minnesota this year, wasn't it? It was very, very dry and very, very hot, right? So farmers, what did you see all over the place? We live in now then Minnesota. You guys have seen this. I know that. We're not in Maple Grove. If you drove down the road, you would see farmers with these big sprinkler irrigation systems, right? Pretty good, huh? That's all you saw, right? The sprinklers were going like crazy. Why? Because there was no rain. We, in 2023, we can get away. If there's no rain, we'll make rain so our crops can grow. Guess what you didn't have 2,000 years ago? Irrigation. If you wanted crops and you wanted an income, you needed rain. Only one person could bring rain, and it was God himself. So when you had a good crop or a bad crop, it didn't matter. The crop you had was because God brought the sun and the rain to give you crop. So a way to say thank you and honor him was you would take 10% of your crop and give it back to him as a way of saying, God, thank you for what I have. That's where tithe comes from. Leviticus chapter 27, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to who? The Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Old Testament and new. The Bible talks about we're called to give to God as a way of saying, thank you, God. Thank you for what I have. Thank you for providing it. Giving to him is what's asked as the owner. Why do we give? Because he asked us to. But secondly, our generosity makes a difference. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Each of you, each, all, should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He can give you all that you need for all the good stuff. Why? Verse 9, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Why? So you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The reason that we give because our generosity makes a difference, a tangible, real difference in people's lives who 
desperately need Jesus. Why do you give? Why do you give to the Bridge Church? Last June, I remember, I was on Palisade Head in Duluth, near Duluth, Minnesota, on a vacation with my wife. And I felt like God was saying, Derek, you need to get a full-time youth pastor. Because the youth of this community needs someone dedicated and devoted to them. And can I be honest with you guys? It terrified me because I knew as a church, we didn't have the finances to have a full-time youth pastor. We didn't. I'm like, God, I don't like when you stretch me. This is no fun. But I was on Palisade Head and I had this legitimate anxiety for a moment going, God, you're asking me to do something I can't do. I don't have it. I remember the Lord kind of whispering to me, do you trust me? Yeah, Lord, I trust you. Came back to the board, told the board, hey guys, I think we need a full-time youth pastor. And they said, we agree. You might be wondering why. Why do you need a full-time youth pastor? Because here's the deal. The youth of this community, they need someone who can love them and be dedicated to them at all times. They need someone who can go to their soccer games to support them when mom and dad can't or won't. And it's hard for him to do that if he has to work a part-time job. It's hard for him to take 36 students to Rochester, Minnesota to get radically changed by God from the inside out if he has to combat with going to work. It's hard for our pastor to come to a place like St. Francis if he can't be here full time. Do you guys know that a healthy metric and a church, a, a, a normal healthy church, a healthy youth ministry should be about 10% of a Sunday morning attendance. At the Bridge Church, our attendance hovers between 150 and 170 between the two services. Which means... A healthy youth ministry which have about 15 to 17 youth students on, on a Wednesday night. Riley, how many did we have two weeks ago? 56. I don't share that because we're awesome. I don't share that because we're successful. I share that because there is a hunger in this community for the youth of this community to see God. And let me tell you, you students, you're leading the way. You're leading the way in this church. You're leading the way in this community. You are going after God. And it's challenging not just your peers, but it's challenging the adults in this room. And adults in this room, I am getting goosebumps because it's so cool to see the adults of this room, the adults of this church, get behind them and support them. So many saying, hey, I, who can I send to camp? Who can I send to convention? Because I know it makes a difference. Your generosity makes a difference, which is why we give. Because lives are changing in this community. Not just in this world, but for eternity. Your generosity makes a difference by allowing us to have the staff that we do. And it's not just the staff. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks. But over the last month and a half, we've added six additional missionaries, ranging from domestic people doing stuff with youth, young adults, 
sex trafficking. We've also brought on a missionary from Costa Rica, Paraguay, Austria. We're looking at sending somebody to Africa and Egypt. People of this church have given that have allowed us to plant two churches that are seeing people come alive in Christ as a result of your generosity. This is bigger than our four walls. This is beyond our four walls. And your generosity is changing not just our town, but eternity because of your generosity. When you give to a place like this, it goes towards doing events like the egg hunt or the tree lighting, things that bless people, that show we're not just a bunch of why on our horse, holier-than-thou people that are religious, but we're people who are experiencing the real living God. And guess what? You can experience him too when you walk into this place. Why you give? Why you give? Because there are real people who are going through real things who need a real Savior. There's a real heaven and a real hell. They need to know Jesus loves them and he died for them. And to, to get away from hell and to leave eternity in heaven means we trust and believe in him. And when we give, people get to hear about that. This church is marked by generosity. The people in this room are marked by generosity. And as God continues to ask us to go above and beyond in our community, we're asking you to join us it takes all of us. Here's what I'm going to ask. I got four things for you. And this applies to every single person in this room. This applies to those in the front row that I share a couch with, that I share an office with, to those that are new for the first time. I like to lead with this, church. I don't know who gives a dime to this place, and I never will. You could be giving $10,000. You could be giving 10 cents. You could be giving nothing, and I don't know. We have a team of accountants that handles that because I don't need to know. That's between you and him. This conversation is about you and him. I'm just going to give you a challenge that I believe if you step into this challenge, you're going to grow in your walk with the Lord. And you're going to see some incredible things as a result of it. So four things. You can write them down, take a picture, take a mental note, whatever you got to do. But here's four things that I think apply to each and every person in this room. Number one is considering the tithe. 10% is a lot. 10%. What you bring in is a lot. But hear me. When you decide to give God your 10, some powerful things happen. Some powerful things powerful things happen. I'm going to share that out at the end. But if you're considering that, you know, Derek, I, I can't do 10. Cool. Do five. Do four. Do three. But set a percentage that makes you just a wee bit uncomfortable and stick to it. Because there are going to be times in which it's like, oh, I don't know if I can give this month. I don't know if I can do the 10% this month. It's pretty tight. When you choose to give first and trust God for the rest, you will be amazed at what happens. You might have to move some things around your budget. You might have to pull this back. But if you would give God your 10 and you would give God the best, 
it will be a tangible, eternal impact that will bless not just your life, but people around you. Consider the tithe and set it up. Because when it comes out, whether you want to or not, you're in this thing. Consider it. Number two, be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. Tithes and offerings. What's the difference? Tithe is 10% to the church. Offering is anything above and beyond. We practice what we preach. Each person on this staff tithes personally. As a church, we tithe. 10% of everything that comes into this place goes right back out. But we also want to go above and beyond. We have a goal this year to raise $65,000 for missions, which is above and beyond the tithe. It's a lot. But we want to practice what we preach. We're sensitive to what God's stirring, and we're trying to be obedient to what that is. Number three, work hard and steward well. Work hard and steward well. Take care of your finances. That's a way you can worship. I was talking to a friend of mine a while back. He does very well for himself. He makes more in a year than I will in the next 40. And I asked him, I was talking to him about life and church and faith. I said, Derek, do you know my favorite verse? He said, yeah. He said, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. He goes, Derek, I've had years where I had so much I didn't know what to do with, and I've had years where I lost it all. And I've learned I can be content in both. Because when I'm anchored in him, I'm safe. I can be content in all those. Work hard, steward well, and understand that contentment is not found in a sum, it's found in a person. Number four, last one. Ask God and be obedient. It can be scary to pray the prayer, God, what would you have me do? He'll tell you. But it's up to us to be obedient through that. If I could speak to you as a pastor and as a real person for a second. My wife and I decided when we first got married that we wanted to be faithful in all seasons. We got married as seniors in college when we were married, I think we had about four cents to our name, maybe. Two sticks of gum, probably. There was times in which we literally gave plasma at BioLife two times a week to have groceries. We made it work. And there was a time in which the one car that we had to go to two of our internships died. And we're going, now what? I remember this so vividly. I walked home from the part-time job I had. I sat on the couch. My wife and I are going, what do we do? We committed to tithing. We committed to staying consistent to this thing. And I remember with tears in her eyes, we just sat down and we just prayed and said, God, you got this. I don't know how. We're still going to be faithful. But God, you got to take care of this. And we prayed. And we cried. It was real scary. When we prayed, we walked out of that prayer still scared. 
there's peace. Because we know he's got it. Don't know how. He's got it. It was a day later. That our in-laws are like, guys, we just feel like you have an extra car. You want to come get it? It's yours. You don't have to pay us or anything. You can get the ticket over here. You can have it. Guys, I, I, can't, I can't tell you how many times it has been hard in which it's been hard. There have been times even now this year in which it's been like, oh man, it's uncomfortable to tithe. I could do a lot with that 10%. But we have chosen to say, God, you are faithful and we're going to be faithful because we believe in what you are and who you are and what you're doing. And he's always taking care of us. And not just taking care of us, but loved us and given us above and beyond what we needed. So I'm asking you, not as the pastor, not as the person in which you're giving to, I'm asking you to consider to give. Not for my benefit, but for yours. And the benefit of those who are going to benefit from your generosity. When you trust God with this, it will challenge you. But it also will blow you away when you see the faithfulness of God time and time again. Consider it. Because I have no idea. Never will. But he's a good father. He's not going to let you down. His word says, if you as human beings know how to give good gifts, why one die? Who of you as parents, when your kid asks for a loaf of bread, you give him a snake? Nobody. If you trust me, I'll provide. Just trust me. I know it's a big ask. I'm not asking for me. I'm asking for you. I'm asking for the lost. Don't yet know the name of Jesus. Give for them. The poor widow gave for the poor. What if we gave for the lost? God's not done in our city, in our state, in our world. Consider giving for them. You pray with me this morning. God, you know the people in this room. You know the people watching online. You know the people that can hear my voice. You know where their checkbook's at. You know where their family's at. You know where their mental health is at. God, you know exactly what their life looks like right now. And I pray, God, that you would step right into the middle of it. You would bring peace you would bring love. You would bring security. You would bring joy like only you can. And Jesus, this week, today, this month, I pray, God, for everyone in here, my family, our staff, our church, I pray that, God, as you challenge us to trust you with what we hold most dear, God, would you help us to unclench our fists and come to you with open hands saying, God, you can have it. May we let go of it with joy knowing that you can do incredible things with whatever we offer.
God, I thank you that I wouldn't be here without the generosity of people decades ago who put the people in place to minister to me. And I pray, God, that we would have that same attitude and pay it forward. And God, I pray that you would bless each person in this place who's been so generous. I pray, God, that you would bless them as they continue that. God, all we are are vessels for you. Our lives are an offering to you. And I pray, God, that you would use us this week for your glory, in your name, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're excited for what God's going to do in you and through you, can you put your hands together this morning? This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.